This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, everybody. How you doing? How was your weekend? Mine was good. Thank you for asking. Uh, very relaxing. Uh, I need it by the time the weekends come. These weeks are so full. There's so many things going on socially, politically, emotionally. It's so hard. We can't even go a day, it feels like, without not, you know, without something happening in the news or in our families or our lives. I, I'm tracking the COVID updates, the vaccines, the new strains. That is blowing our minds. And then we're watching the political, the current state of politics. We're wondering what's going to happen with the inauguration. You know what I mean? Oh, they're closing down so many different things in D.C. I mean, let's talk about that for a second. So they're not going to be having people hanging out in the mall, the park there. They're also not going to be allowed people to certain airlines are saying they're not going to allow people to check in firearms. I didn't know that you could check in a firearm to travel with it, <clears throat> but apparently you can. But you can't right now. Airbnb and some other hotel booking systems are not allowing people to book rooms, basically because we're afraid of what occurred at the Capitol occurring again in some form, right, during the inauguration or before the inauguration. Biden will not be taking the train in from his home in Delaware. Shout out to Delaware. I went to high school in Delaware, though I did not live in Delaware. Uh, always interesting to hear Delaware in the news now because it's a it's a state that you don't hear much about. They're pretty just chill doing their thing, heads down. Um, but yeah, it's so unsafe that he can't take the train safely, can't even have people in the mall watching. In the mall, I don't mean the indoor shopping area. The mall is the outdoor, outside the monuments. Um, really beautiful area if you haven't been to D.C., especially during the cherry blossom season, FYI. D.C. is a great place. Um, but yeah. Interesting times. We can't even trust the safety of that. We're watching the National Guard <laughs> setting up outside the Capitol. So, you know, we're bumping into that. Um, so that's happening, and that's great. But in some more positive news, we have a, a gay ad for the Cadbury egg. Yes, upsetting people. Two gay men, happy, kissing, eating a Cadbury's egg. Very disruptive to some people. Still, to acknowledge that, yep, same-sex attraction is a real thing. Harms nobody. <laughs> people are still upset about that. Um this story I could not wait to talk about. I think this is really fascinating. We reported on this last year because this seems to be somewhat of a little bit of a trend. Uh, so are you all familiar with the uh, sex apps or toys where you can have a partner from a distance kind of control things? Uh, yes. Well, hackers, God bless them, have uh, <laughs> hacked into internet-based connected chastity cages. Basically what that means is some people, part of their sex play in their eroticism is chastity, meaning they put their anatomy into a plastic case that apparently based on this use is closed or opened from remote by someone who's their dom, their dominant, their daddy. 
Uh, well, the hackers have hacked into that system, thereby holding these people's genitals ransom. That's right. They want money to unlock. <laughs> and I guess the people are going along with it because they're like, look, I don't want to go to the hospital or even take a power tool to crack open this plastic case or metal case, depending on the um, chastity cage itself. But God bless it. I'm not going to read you the quotes that some of the hackers are saying, but they're basically saying your you know what is mine now. <laughs> But for some people, that spikes eroticism because part of chastity is not having control over that. So this has happened to a few people. Um, it's, this, the report says that it began last year in October. Security researchers found that the manufacturer of an Internet of Things a chastity cage um, had left an API exposed. Now, I'm not tech savvy, so I don't know what an API is, but um, if you do, you'll know. And uh, basically, it's given hackers a chance to take control of the devices. Ready? Robert, we'll call him, he received a message from a hacker demanding a payment of $750 today to unlock the device. He realized his cage was definitely locked and that he could not gain access to it. Fortunately, he says, I did not have this locked on myself while this happened. Ah, oh, bless you, Robert. <laughs> Who knew? You know, with technology comes great pleasure and freedom, but also risks like that. People buy other people's uh, domains and try to sell them. It's a bummer. Now, part of this is greed. Part of it's also that we set up a system where people are struggling financially and sometimes they're forced to do things they don't wanna do. That is not an apology to such behavior that is heinous and not okay, but there's a cultural systemic component to such behavior. We can't completely ignore that and leave that out. Um, and then finally, while on topic, Y'all familiar with poppers? Yes, those are things that you can sniff and inhale that are usually uh, 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 some kind of cleansing agent, a little bottle, and it can give you a brief high and it can help you know spike your arousal during sex. People will sniff poppers, dangerous, especially if you're taking something with Viagra, you can have a dangerous drop in your blood pressure, do not use them together. Um, but uh, there's now a subscription service. Ah, uh, yes, they will send you a monthly variety of different poppers. Now, poppers all tend to be the same, smell the same, so it's not really that much of an offer in my mind. But you know, what the heck? If you're a connoisseur of that stuff, you'll get different varieties, <laughs> different little bottles. I love the world. I love the world. You can get a you know subscription service basically at this point to absolutely anything. So anyway, think about your loved ones for the holidays and their birthday. Valentine's Day is coming up too. Who wouldn't love a popper subscription service. I don't, so don't get me. All right, y'all, question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. We're going to talk about relationship green flags and red flags because we always want to speak about the positives and uh, also talking about the proper ways to use a condom because there's a lot of myths and a lot of people are making some big mistakes which are decreasing the efficacy. So question of the night is always up on our Love on IG page in the stories. We got some DMs going on. So if you have a question for us, drop them in our Loveline DMs and we'll answer them. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about relationship, green flags and red flags, all as part of our 2021 new year, new relationship. That's right, not new year, new you. You're fine exactly as you are. We need to learn to work on more acceptance of ourselves. If you wanna make some changes, that's cool too, but you don't have to do a totally new you. We're too busy working on our mental and relational health to be worrying about some other things. So uh, we're gonna be talking about relationship red flags and relationship green flags. Now, a lot of people talk all the time about what to be wary of, and we will get into that. But I wanted to start the segment by talking about what you should be looking for. Um, especially Valentine's Day coming up. Some people start to get really anxious and panic and they kind of get a little too flexible or porous in their boundaries. 
So let's talk about some stuff. First off, <clears throat> uh, the way people conceptualize your relationship or your partnership gives you a lot of indications as to what they're interested in. Now, again, we're always looking at ourselves first and then we're looking at others. So ask yourself as we're going through these red flags and green flags, are these things that I do? Are these things that I need to start doing? Are these things that I need to stop doing? Because that's where we always want to start with ourselves. That's mental health, looking at you know, our role in all the different systems that we participate in, all the different relationships that we're in. So if you are interested in being in something very relational, attached, committed, this is what you're gonna be looking for. And if not, don't engage in these things. See, that's how it works, right? Don't misuse certain green flags and stages of courtship that are used generally in service of building something committed and also that communicate to someone you're interested if that's not the case. So again, if you want to be with someone, engage in these green flags. If you don't, avoid them because you'd be manipulating and really misrepresenting what you're looking for. The first one again is the perspective. People that are committed and attached and looking for something serious will use words like we and us. They move away from the I statements. They don't talk about everything future-oriented, even in the present, about themselves as much as they start talking about we and us, and they start to think about how every decision that's made impacts the relationships that they're part of. So if they're talking about a job or relocation, they'll start talking about, wow, what, what do we want to do about this? How would we want to tackle this? What can we do so that we're both comfortable with this? Because we're getting away from that toxic American individualism, this whole idea that I don't have to worry about other people, how I impact other people doesn't matter, I just have to worry about myself. No, that's narcissism, that's being too self-centered. We're working on more collective responsibility, caring about how we impact others. It's called, bump it up bum, empathy. It's called bump it a bum, compassion. We want more of that. So if you are looking to build a committed relationship and you want to communicate to the people that you're in relationships with, you start using words like us and we. You start framing and forming it as that relational bond. Now, the next thing you also want to do is reliability and consistency is very much a green flag. Reliability and consistency is how we build what we call secure attachment. So if you're looking to have more secure attachment, which means people feeling very safe and stable within relationships, you wanna be consistent and you wanna be reliable, right? And what that will look like will change. You have to contextualize that. But don't keep showing up consistently in reliability if you are not looking to communicate to someone, I wanna build something with you, because that's a misuse of that, right? And again, for those, look at yourselves. Are you someone who is reliable, consistent with those that you're looking to really feel as though they're in a safe, committed relationship with you? Next one is, I love this one. They take an interest in you. I work with far too many people that are out there dating and they'll come back talking about having matched with someone online, gone on a date, started texting someone, got on FaceTime, and the person just talks about themselves nonstop. They never take the time to explore who this other person is or to learn about them. That's a red flag, right? A green flag would be someone who says, I haven't heard enough about you, or they check in, check in on yourselves. When you're talking to someone, a friend, a family member, a loved one, and say, have I taken time to let them be centered? Have I taken time to check in with them? Have I taken time to find out what's going on with them? So on a date, a good date, you'll ask questions and you'll truly be interested and engaged in who they are, what they're up to, what they think, what they feel, what they do out in the world. And again, it's a red flag if someone is consistently only talking about themselves because either they're not interested or they're very selfish and narcissistic. And that's gonna create either an avoidant relational 
situation or an anxiously attached situation because you never quite feel centered or cared for it or prioritized. And part of mental health is seeking that and demanding that. Um, another green flag is that they support your growth. They're supportive of things that are good for you, supportive of things that are in your best interest, especially and most meaningfully when maybe it bums them out, disappoints them or puts them out, but yet they still prioritize and center you because it's in your best interest. So maybe they're bummed out that you're taking this new job they always wanted because they'll see you a little less. Maybe they're bummed out because your friends are important to you and you want to take time to see them and your partner's a little bit lonely or left out, but they're like, you know what? I get it though, because that's important to you because you have to go to your, your AA meeting or whatever it is. They really support those decisions and those actions that you're doing for yourself and that are in your best interest. Also, I use this word a lot. It's called mutuality because we're never going to have a quality within relationships. There'll always be someone who's more interested in the house being cleaner and they should focus on that. Someone else might be more happy cooking. Someone else might be more willing to be the one that leaves the house and goes out to work that's non-gendered. It doesn't matter what your gender is. If you're a man, woman, non-binary, one of you might be like, hey, I really do enjoy my career. And the other might say, I don't. So I'm happy to stay home if we want to have children. Horrible examples. But it's really about mutuality, which means everyone feels equally as empowered. Equally empowered where their say matters and their needs matter. Their needs matter Because equality is not the best model. Things aren't always going to be 50-50. There'll always be a higher desiring partner, a lower desiring partner. Someone who's more interested in things being a certain way, they can handle that if they're the you know activity coordinator awesome let them take that on you take on something else so it's not about equality it's about mutuality we all feel like our needs are met and we have power and control and sway over decision making within the relationship that's like a psychological mandate um all right we're going to take a little bit of a break but when we come back we're going to keep talking about red flags and green flags within relationships because again we're both assessing ourselves as partners and friends we're assessing the others that we're in relationship to and it's 2020 so why not start off the new year focusing on this so we're going to keep returning to this Question of the night, as always, is up on our Love Landed G page, weighing on that. And of course, later in the show, some DMs, and we'll also be talking about some misuses and how to better use condom and other forms of sexual protection. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about relationship red flags and green flags because we're trying to get better about assessing ourselves. We're trying to be more self-reflective. And again, we don't want to be misusing certain forms of courtship, right? Certain activities, behaviors, and perspectives that are utilized to connect to someone, to get deeper and closer to someone. We don't want to be utilizing those if that's not really what we're looking for. And we also want to be better at maybe building those relationships if we want. So we're talking about, you know, just talking more in terms of we and us, less I and me. We're talking about the importance of being reliable and consistent. That's how trust is built. That's how people are really able to attach. If you're not looking for that, <clears throat> don't be as consistent with someone. That's a misuse of that. Don't keep showing up in ways that you're not comfortable showing up. If someone's texting you too much, you're not interested, tell them that they're texting you too much or you respond when you feel it's most comfortable and honest for you. Don't, don't misrepresent yourself. Um, if someone's texting me every day and that's not what I'm looking for, I either communicate that or I get back to them at the times I'm interested in, which might be far less than every day. Um, you have to lead from your truth. So we're also talking about mutuality, supporting the growth of person. I think another really key valuable one is about vulnerability. Um, a green flag is when you're in a relationship or dating someone who's willing to be vulnerable. And that often will mean, or the most powerful, clear way to see that is they're willing to admit they're wrong. They're willing to be wrong very vulnerably and transparently. Like, wow, you're right. 
that was not the best way I should have done that. Or, wow, you're right, I was wrong. Thank you for pointing that out. Thank you for telling me. And if you aren't that kind of person, start to be that kind of person. Start to be the kind of person where you can hear that you hurt someone and you can say, I'm really sorry, thanks for telling me. Or you can admit you're wrong. If you can't, you're probably, probably a little too narcissistic and emotionally avoidant. And then on the inverse, are you dating someone who's able to do that? If not, can you start talking about that? Hey, listen, it's really hard being in this relationship because it seems like it's hard for you to admit you're wrong and it's really important for us to be able to talk about how we impact others. And if that's not something that's doable, it's either not a very healthy relationship or maybe it's time for some couples therapy because that's a really big part of one of the things we work on. But both partners have to be open to that. You know, it's a very powerful red flag if a partner's like, I don't want to change, I don't want to work on myself, I'm good exactly as I am. It's probably one of the biggest red flags and you should run, totally. Um, another one is they have a life rooted in meaning. One of the most important things that has the byproduct of making us happy, one of the best ways to become happy, is to really make your time here on this earth, uh, this one life that we have in this one body, uh, centered in what gives you joy and meaning. And if not, you're not going to be that happy. And you're not going to necessarily, when, you be brought, when you're brought into someone's life as a partner, you're going to bring all that distress and depression and anxiety with you. So dating readiness is about looking around and saying, have I built a life that makes me happy? Because I don't want someone to enter my life and make them responsible for making me happy, which is what happens, or just not bringing happiness to them. So work on that. As we enter someone's life, we should be making them happier, right? We shouldn't be taking all of our struggles in, so work on that. And if you're currently with someone, work on that now. It's really important to be self-reflective in that way and to pay attention to what we're bringing into someone else's life. And it's a hard assessment, but if we're looking around and we're like, I'm not a happy, content person, go work on that first. Um, and then finally, social and ethical compatibility. We keep talking more about that. You know, if you're sober and they drink a lot or you're a homebody and they like to party or they're outdoorsy and you're indoorsy or you have very different politics, um, it can lead to some massive ongoing issues, especially based on how we now center that. And so you want to pay attention to that. I tell people all the time in early dating, especially ask them, what do you do on the weekends? What do you do for New Year's? What role does drugs and alcohol play? Are you into bars and clubs? Um, how, how outdoorsy are you? And maybe you're open to being influenced and maybe you're open to expanding your world. That's a beautiful thing, right? That goes back to being with someone who's willing to change and grow because that's awesome. Sometimes you're like, I'm not outdoorsy. I'd like to be. I'm curious to learn more about that. But if it's a hard line for you, that kind of relationship will never work. You know, like I personally am not into bars and clubs and I'm not a drinker, don't use drugs. So for me, I have no interest in being with someone where that's a priority to them or a massively center point for their social life because I'll never be able to participate in it. And they won't really value or wanting to participate in mine. I like to do things sober. So <clears throat> think about that. And then finally, just blown through some red flags, which we actually already went through by default. Red flags are when they're always talking about me and I. They never talk about we and us. Everything's just them thinking about how it impacts them or what they want. Um, they're very avoidant. They're not reliable. They're not consistent. And again, that's not bad or wrong. That just is how they are. And you have to say, is that the kind of relationship I want to be a part of or the kind of person I want to date? Or is that the kind of person I want to be? Because you can work on these things. Another red flag is someone who is just never wrong. We talked about that really, really heavy. Um, also, someone who makes you anxious. When they call or text, do you feel anxious because they're always picking a fight, always jealous, always unhappy? Time to go. Time to go. Because that can become an indirect form of emotional abuse. Um, healthy relationships, when they text or call, you smile, you feel good, you're excited. Again, it's the before, during, after. How do you feel before when they're calling? How do you feel during when you're on the call? How do you feel after? And if it's always bad, it's time to go. Um, and then the last two are they disempower you. 
They don't make you feel more empowered and safer in the world. It's the opposite. Red flag. And then finally, too much jealousy. Some people lead and live from jealousy and they need to work on that because it's not your responsibility to help soothe every step of the way someone being jealous. Because there are some people where no matter what you do, they don't feel secure and that's a job for them. That's a sign they have work to do. It's not your job to never make your partner uncomfortable. They're allowed to be uncomfortable at times because sometimes you'll make decisions that's maybe more meaningful for you. We are allowed to do that. And they can't always lead with jealousy. You have a, you have a right to reject that. I, I understand that you're feeling jealousy. We can talk about that, but I reject the value of it. I, I just don't think it's a legitimate thing. You have a right to do that. I know. All right, so coming up next, DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, now we're back. Time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, tonight's DM asks, hey, Dr. Chris, hope you're doing well. I met a guy just a few days ago. And we have been chatting nonstop for days, thinking about meeting up after the pandemic. He seems really great, and I like him so far. But then, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. but then he told me he had spent 10 years in prison when he was younger. I said, I don't care, and didn't ask any questions, even though he said I can ask him whatever I want. I just don't want to ask. My question is, what should I ask? Does it matter what he did to go to prison? What is something that I should see as a red flag or should I just not care and don't ask any questions at all and leave the past in the past? Thank you. I love your perspective because, uh, excuse me, you're essentially uh, acknowledging the most important principle in all this, which is we, we aren't necessarily our past. Now, here's the conundrum. The best predictor of future behavior is often past behavior, right? So we can sometimes learn something about who someone is now or will be in the future based on what's happened in the past, right? It does let us know what they are, what, it, what, what is possible and what is what they are capable of, okay? So I wanna acknowledge that first. I will work with someone clinically and, um, and even dating and you do an assessment or an intake and you do get a sense of what they've been born out of, what's context and social worlds they've been a part of. You look at traumas and that does help you better understand who and why someone is the way they are. So, we also have to hold the idea that people do grow and change. People do get sober and move away from drugs and alcohol and all the behaviors associated with it. People that come into my clinical practice do work on becoming better people and all of a sudden they have empathy and boundaries. That absolutely is possible. And people are allowed to move forward and leave things behind them. Side note, I think it's gross when people go online and dig years back and pull out problematic tweets. I don't care what someone might have said five years ago. What do they think now? Who are they now? That's what's meaningful to me because that's all we have control over. And so it's both, right? It's both. What someone has done and who they were in the past can help you understand who they are now. And so that's why I think it's meaningful, right? Not because it necessarily promises who they are now or who they'll be, but it does help inform us as to what's formed them, right? What they've been through. And I say that as an act of empathy and understanding. If someone has a history of drug and alcohol use, well, then you understand their triggers. And then you are aware of the fact that you don't want to bring them into triggering environments around drugs and alcohol. Um, you learn about people's relational history and you can understand what work they might have to do and be working on. And you might want to take on some of that loving relational responsibility to not necessarily trigger them, right? So I think it's a little bit of both. Now, the fact that this person said, ask me anything, I love that they're open as well. So here's my, here's my solid answer. I think right now you get to know who they are now. You've been talking for a little while. You're going to meet up with them. You haven't even met them in real time, right? And uh, FaceTime matters and so does face-to-face. -face, and that's how we get a better sense of compatibility and chemistry. So I would say wait until you meet them. 
And if it feels like the chemistry is there, the compatibility is there, then you can start to ask those more personal questions. Because the way I do it is I draw a diagram of three circles. And I say this outer circle is information we should freely give to anyone. What movies we're watching, our favorite colors, maybe what we do for a living. And that's how we start to develop trust. But people have to earn their way into the deeper, more triggering, more personal, private parts of ourselves. We shouldn't put them on a dating app. We shouldn't express that right away. People have to earn the right to that. We have to, we have to know that we can trust this person because we don't know who they are, what they'll do with this information. And more importantly, I we want people to get to know who we are now because that will make them maybe more willing to hear some of our problematic past behavior because we're no longer that person, right? But we want them to be secure in who we are now. So get to know who this person is now, solidly. And as you earn the trust, this person will bring you in and tell you more personal, private things. That's earned. That is not something we have to give away right away. Um, I say that all the time. You don't have to tell someone you're in recovery on the first couple dates or, or your you know, criminal history. Uh, they earn the right to that. So get to know him, who he is now. And if that feels safe and that feels comfortable, then at some point, lovingly, from a place of nothing more than curiosity, you can say, hey, I do want to know more about you. So please do tell me maybe what happened in the past. But you do it from a place of curiosity, not as a place to judge or decide on who they are, because who they are is who you're meeting now. And so I love, love, love that question. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to talk about, yes, the important ways to use a condom. We all think we know. It is not as intuitive as you think. And a lot of mistakes are made, and that can lead to some big issues. So we're going to talk about that. And of course, question of the night. That is up on our Loveline IG page. So still some time to weigh in on that. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about condom mistakes. Oy, there's so many. You would think at this point they've been around so long that we'd better understand how to use them. But of course we don't because we have a sex negative culture. No one talks about these things or shows these things. We should openly be talking about condoms. We should be able to leave them out. It should be a con an ongoing conversation. We should be able to repeatedly talk about their use. Uh, people should be able to tell stories about their use. We should have them readily available. Sex ed should absolutely have everyone practicing. Sex is going to be a part of most of our lives. Everyone should be practicing. They shouldn't just be sitting there watching someone do it on a banana. Let everyone have their own condom and practice a few times. We want to have skills. And that's the one thing I'll always rail against is our sex education system here is based in anxiety. It's about the parents. It's totally about making the parents feel comfortable and not anxious. It is not in service of educating children because if it was, we'd cover everything that's possible. That's what education's about. Talking about how things were, how things need to be, how things are. And we would talk about all gender expressions, all forms of sexual orientation. We would normalize intercourse, outer course. We would talk about kink. We would talk about all the different safer sex forms. We would talk about prep. It would not just be about not getting pregnant or STDs and STIs. It wouldn't just be fear and anxiety. We should be talking about pleasure. Sex is fun. Sex feels good. Sex is something you do because you want to feel good in your body or you want to connect with another person. Here's how to best do it. We talk about consent. Ugh, it goes on and on and on, but we don't. So thank God for Love Line. Um, all right, so uh, <laughs> condom mistakes. There's a lot. Um, condoms are one of many ways to try to prevent the transmission of STDs, STIs, or pregnancy, but it's not 100% effective depending on the study you look at. It's anywhere from, it's about 96% tends to be the average. You'll see some studies that are better or worse. So it's not 100% effective and the effect, the efficacy of it increases when used properly. And as we're going to hear, a lot of people don't. So that 96% is when used properly. So the number drops drastically when used improperly, um, all the way down to completely ineffective. <laughs> so don't think, oh, I put on a condom, like all's well. Really? How did you put it on? What are you doing with it on? 
What did you do after you had it on? These are all really important questions. So it's not always the best way to avoid getting pregnant or to prevent the transmission, right? So condoms in terms of STDs and STIs and HIV, I think are 96% effective. And again, the standard number that they throw around for preventing pregnancy is about 98% when used effective. But again, that's not 100. And it becomes, it's about the use. <laughs> so look at this stat. In a given year <clears throat> of 100 people, 18 of them will get pregnant while using condoms. 18 out of 100. It's a pretty high number. Well, it depends how you look at it. But if you're one of those 18, it was 100%. And so it's not so great for you. Um, and that might not be something you're ready, interested, or prepared for, right? So just know that, right? <clears throat> so those with perfect use, 2 out of 100. And again, the perfect use is for those that are very confident and have practiced. They look, they pay attention, they ask questions. The improper use, the 18 out of 100, if we're talking about pregnancy prevention, are those that were anxious, it was in the dark, they fumbled, they don't feel confident, they don't have more than one available if needed. So again, practice, get confident, look down, pay attention, ask questions, have the lights on. All partners have to do this, whether you're a penis owner or not. You, you are responsible for your sexual health. And so if you are not the person putting on the condom, you should still be watching and paying attention to make sure they are because most likely they're not doing it effectively. <clears throat> and then we have horrible things like stealthing <coughs> where people pull it off. Excuse me, I'm having like an allergy thing today. So my voice and my breathing are a little off, but there's things like stealthing, which is so heinous and not consent-based where people will act as though they've put a condom on and then they'll take it off mid-sex, pull it off, rip it off, let it fall off, take it off. Really horrible. I mean, horrible, horrible. Uh, so anyway, you should be asking, paying attention, checking in, following up, because again, you sadly are the only one responsible for your sexual and mental health. Other people aren't. We try to make them. Um, also, making sure you're still getting tested for STDs and STIs. STDs and STIs while using condoms. Some people think, oh, well, I use protection. I don't have to worry about that. Yes, you do. Many of them occur from skin-to-skin -skin contact, and skin-to-skin -skin contact is still happening even during condom-wearing penetrative sex. Your pelvis is pre-penetration, post-penetration, all our whole lower areas, and our faces are being brought into contact with all different body parts and areas. So yes, that is still part of it. And again, confidence. We are asking ourselves and our partners, when's the last time you were tested for an STD or an STI? We're asking ourselves that. We're asking our partners because that's part of it. It's not just, ah, as long as you're using a condom, we're good. I don't ask any questions or pay attention. And if these questions make you anxious, well, then you might not be mature enough to be having sex. And it's hard for me to say that, but part of sexual readiness is understanding and having a willingness to, to ask these questions. <clears throat> that's part of the maturity. You're taking care of yourself. But we have to practice, and that's why sexual developmental milestones are a real thing. I want people having sex. Go have sex. That's how you become a great, healthy adult and a great partner. You've had sex before. You've practiced. You've learned. And our younger years, when we're of age, should be having dating multiple partners, having sex, trying sex and dating with different genders, different body shapes and sizes, and really expanding, going through those develop developmental milestones. Sex is skill-based. It is not just something we inherently know how to do when the time comes. Absolutely not. And porn is a horrible sex educator, absolutely horrible. They don't talk about safe sex practices. They don't, you don't see things going wrong or people being disappointed or, or aftercare or these conversations. So it's really horrible. And most people only see sex in porn. <clears throat> That's the only time they have access to it because no one's talking about it. They're not out there practicing, enjoying themselves. That is an important part. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about... <laughs> 
condom fears. <laughs> I know, I know. Sex is awesome, but we just have to we just have to be prepared. Uh, and they'll be doing some question of the night, so still some time to weigh in on that on our Loveline IG page. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com. All right, we're back, and of course my allergies are still going with me, so bear with me. I'm a little coffee, a little, a little phlegmy. <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to say words like that. My, my breath, my breathing's a little off. I'm telling you, being indoors all the time, and I have a cat, and I have really sensitive allergies to literally dust or anything, it, it's on. It's an ongoing ordeal. You know what I mean? And when I'm recording or seeing clients, I often have to close my windows because it's loud out there. So much happening out there. Um, I live in Los Angeles. And so <laughs> I'm constantly just inhaling recycled air and that poor cat. It's like fur balls everywhere. I can't, when the gyms were open, I would just randomly be working out and pulling like a cat hair out of my mouth. I, my other cat uh, owners understand this, not owners. We don't own our cats. They're a companion, but you get my point. Um, but anyway, we're talking about the use of condoms and how really great effective form of prevention for pregnancy. STDs, STIs, but you have to use them appropriately. And that's going to mean being educated, but that's also going to be mean, mean practicing and asking questions and, and watching your partner to make sure they understand how to use it. So um, <clears throat> we're talking about you have to still get tested because STDs and STIs are not always um, only spread through fluid exchange. It's often also through skin-to-skin -skin contact, and condoms do not cover the entire pelvic region, right? They do not. And so they do offer the most protection, but they don't protect from everything. I'm not gonna go through the list of what can happen. Just know you still need to be getting tested. You still need to be asking people questions about their sexual health and their sexual history, okay? Um, also, I, I thought a lot of people knew this, and that's okay, we don't all. There's a few key things that uh, we need to remember, such as you cannot reuse condoms. Now, what that means, though, I want to really dive a little deeper into what that means. That doesn't just mean after uh, you've had sex with a partner, you can't reuse it with another partner or them again a day or so later. It also means you can't reuse it between uses with the same partner in the same sexual experience. So if you're using it for penetration and then you stop penetration for whatever reason, you take the condom off and you need to put on a new one when you resume penetration. So you might ha need to have multiple condoms for the same sex uh, situation with the same partner. And if you're going from different body part to different body part with penetration, you're going to be needing a different condom for each use in that way as well. You cannot, you don't want to double dip, as they say, going from one area to another with the same condom. That's how we spread bacteria. <clears throat> and also set us up for a higher risk of STDs, STIs, but more importantly for the condom to also fall off, rip, or get like a micro tear. The micro tears are the ones you're not necessarily as aware of. So reuse your condoms. Don't wash them. Don't reuse them. Have a lot of them, you know? Okay. <laughs> it's wild. It's wild, but you need a fresh brand new condom, sometimes a multiple, sometimes in the same session. And then also of course, between partners <clears throat> also, they have an expiration date. So you know that janky, dirty one you've always had in your in your pocket, your car glove compartment, or your wallet, or your drawer? Check the expiration date. That's why we need more than one. They expire. That matters. Don't just go with, oh, it doesn't seem crusty and messed up. Heat and time eat away at condoms, as do certain lubricants. So that becomes the other part. Certain lube will eat away at condoms. Oil-based lubes are going to be really detrimental to a lot of sex toys and condoms. So you want to use water-based ones. You have to ask these questions. You got to check in on these things. Again, I know people are like, oh, well, what's the point? I know there's a lot of things to think about, but the more practice you get, the more confident you are. It just is what it is. It's not that deep. 
And then of course we got to talk about um, our bodies. You wanna make sure you're using the condom that is the right fit for you. People have different sized and shaped penises. Um, also sex toys and also fingers. These are different, these are all the things that condoms can be used on. And we wanna make sure we're wearing something, uh, we wanna make sure the condom is not too loose, nor is it too tight. If it's too tight, it runs the risk of tearing. If it's too loose, it runs the risk of falling off and also tearing. You want to make sure, again, also too tight means it's not gonna be able to hold any, um, any ejaculated body fluids, right? When you orgasm. So the condom has to be able to hold that. It's also a reservoir at the end for any ejaculation. Um, so sizing matters. You might have to try on a different couple different sizes. It shouldn't be too tight or too snug, but you do want it to fit. Prop, you know, properly fitting is part of us getting to that 96 or 98% efficacy rate, right? So again, <clears throat> that is part of being on either end. If you see a partner putting on a condom that's too big or too small, you want to say to them, hey, that's not the right fit for you. And that can be awkward. You have to say very lovingly, though, that's not the right size. And so you might want to be someone who has multiple sizes. And as an owner, you have to know what size you require. But if you're a sex partner and you're on the receiving end, you still might want to have an arsenal of different sized condoms for different sex toys, fingers, penises. Yes, they have finger condoms. You can also use dental dams for that. Um, excuse me. But you want to always be checking the condom, like I said, for fit and for tears. And then finally, finally with use, <clears throat> you want to make sure you have it be able to roll down and that you're pinching the top when you put it on so that there is a reservoir to collect body fluids. And if you miss, if you misuse the unrolling, I'm sorry, misuse, if you have the rolling down incorrectly where it doesn't roll down and you had it inverse, you should try a new one because in pushing down on it, you might've possibly torn it, tear it, or we might've, um, <clears throat> pulling it down in the wrong direction can create small tears. And so again, the uh, resilience, the uh, robustness of the condom can be compromised. I know, we have to talk about these things. <laughs> um, what's the other thing? They often say, I'm looking at a couple notes I wrote down, don't use two condoms, you don't need two at a time for extra safety, right? That's not gonna help. And sometimes, believe it or not, the friction of the two can uh, create the possibility of a break or a rupture, right? Don't use natural condoms right? Use latex ones. Some people have allergies, so you can use an alternative uh, kind. Uh, and then finally, <clears throat> making sure you're using enough lube, tons of lube. And also when you're finished with sex, you don't keep it on while still inside of a partner. Um, Cause that causes leaking. And people aren't always aware of that. Things can drip out and leak out. They're not perfect, but sex is supposed to be fun and comfortable. And we only can feel the most comfortable, have the most fun, and really be able to just focus on pleasure when we know that us and our partner are aware and have really paid attention to how to properly use protection. We'll talk more about it, though. I know that was like a, a big dump of information and whatnot, but we'll circle back at some point. Coming up next, question of the night. The question of the night's still up on our Loveline AG page in the story, so wait in on that. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com, and we'll be back in two minutes. All right, we're back. You know, I was posting about this on my social media. There's a stunning documentary on HBO Max or HBO as well called Transhood. So it's a play on the word childhood, trans children in their childhood, transhood. It's stunning, heartbreaking as well, because you really get to see transphobia and bigotry and the problematic relationship that religion has within there. But the profound center point of it all is just watching these courageous individuals and families living their best lives, trying to support each other. And it's really stunning. 
um, I really advise everyone to sit down and watch it because you will know if you have don't already someone who's trans or gender fluid or gender queer because that's what's happening in the younger generations. They have more confidence and more options, and I'm glad that they're taking advantage of that. There's no reason for everyone to have to force themselves in a psychologically abusive way into a gender performance, which means how they look, what they wear, and how they act uh, just because that's what's most comfortable for the rest of the world. Like that's not mental health, right? Mental health is living in a liberated, authentic way as to who you are. It's traumatic to have to live in a way that's not who you are and how you are because it makes everyone else comfortable. Uh, your job as a person in the world isn't to make people comfortable, especially not as a child. As a child, your job is to make your parents happy and comfortable. It's the job of the parents to support and create a safe space for the child to be who they are. Please know that that is what parenting is. So when I hear parents saying things like, why do you do that to me? Or I don't like, shut up. It's not about you. So Transhood is a really stunning film that really shows what love looks like, where they're saying, this is who my child is. And we're on that journey, wherever it takes us, even if it loops around and upside down and flips. Also a groundbreaking documentary narrated by Olivia Coleman, I'm not familiar with her, explores how all children have a fluid sense of gender and that's called Becoming You. And that's a new Apple TV documentary series. Um, yeah, I like the idea. All children do have the possibility of being gender fluid because children aren't aware and don't care about gender roles. Children aren't aware and don't care about toxic masculinity and homophobia. They just are naturally drawn to what they're drawn to. And if we can create a safe space and just let them wear what they want to wear, play with what they want to play with, children are naturally fluid. They don't understand these made-up categories of, you have a vagina, that means you're a girl, that means you need to wear pink and grow your hair long. Like, that's made up. That's not real. That's actually socialization. Let children just be where they are and who they are. That's, that's mental health. So I think all families should sit down and watch these parents to have a sense of what's possible for the children because you don't get to decide. Also have a watch with your children so that they have confidence and familiarity because they might be encountering that out in the world, which you hear the story of this one child who's trans and um, gets called out online. And, and this young individual, he's, his friends find out that he's trans and it's really heartbreaking because he wasn't ready to come out himself, but he was forced out. All right, y'all, now it's time for question of the night. Tonight's question tonight was, according to Inside Hook, virtual flirting and cheating are at an all-time high. Of course, everyone's at home, they're bored, they're lonely, they're on their phones. Are you worried about your partner cheating on you? That's the question tonight. Are you worried about your partner cheating on you? 32% said yes. 68% said no. Good, because if you're in a trusting relationship, we're good. If you put yes, that you are worried about your partner cheating on you, what is it that you're most worried about? I love that question. What are you most worried about in that? First person said, I'm single, but I can understand how easy digital cheating might be for someone. Every time they go in the bathroom, they have private alone time. That's right. But if you have love, care, empathy, and you're committed, and you're in a monogamous relationship, you don't do anything with it. You know what I mean? Just because we have an impulse to do something doesn't mean we do it. We always consider the impact on others. Someone else said, I think that virtual cheating is emotional cheating and that sometimes that's worse than physical cheating. Yes, as long as you're not misapplying that term. I hear people call really deep, close, intimate relationships between friends emotional cheating. It's like, that's what friends have, deep, intimate relationships. They discuss themselves and each other to their depths. Like we have to be very cautious about that word. I think you really mean, I don't like using the word cheating. I think you mean emotional cheating. I think you mean romantic or flirtation. Like let's just use the exact words. Question tonight is uh, if you're worried about your partner cheating right now, what are you most worried about? Someone said, I'm guilty of virtual cheating, but I'd never continue that in person. It's just something to do when I'm bored. 
But I mean, I guess the question is, are you cheating, meaning acting outside of your commitment and looking to build a relationship with someone? Are you cheating because it's just harmless, random flirting? You don't know the person, they don't know you. Is that something that's understandable in your relationship? If you want to do that, talk to your partner about it. Hey, babe, we never really defined our boundaries of monogamy, <clears throat> which FYI, most couples don't. I'll say to them in my office. So you're monogamous. What does that mean? Have you talked about what that includes and ex excludes? And most haven't. But ask your partner, is it cool if I'm bored one day, if I'm just randomly chatting with random people? I mean, like, dear God, like, why not? I think that that could be accessible and relatable in some relationships. Like, sure, just don't do any further. Don't exchange names. I don't know. Y'all decide. But talk about it. Don't just say, I just do it. It's cool. I don't let my partner know. Tell them. I don't want people being in relationships where they're afraid to be who they are and ask for what they want. But again, ethical relationships are about being open with your partner about what you can um, hold yourself accountable to and what you're not open to holding yourself accountable to. So if that's what you want to do, at least own it. It's usually the betrayal, the lying that's most uh, detrimental to a relationship. Someone else said, um, I caught my partner DMing like four other girls and one of them, she made plans to meet up in person. So I had to break up with her. Yeah, that's just crappy. You know, if you're going to cheat, that's just the worst thing to do on top of just talk about the fact that the boundaries you currently hold with your partner aren't working for you. Own it. Someone else said, and I'll end on this one, I can never be with someone who wouldn't be open about their social media with me, period. I agree. I wouldn't either. Like, I'm in a relationship, and if I was told, like, hey, I was spent the weekend flirting, I'd be like, well, thank you for telling me. Let's talk about that. Is that something you want to be able to do more of? Let's talk about what that means for me. Because honestly, I don't care about things like that. I'm not threatened by that. But, you know, we all got to be where we are. All right. Thank you to those that uh, cooperate and participate. Question of the night for tomorrow is up on our Loveline IG page in the story. So weigh in on that. And coming up next, we're going to be sliding back into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's question asks, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Aaron, and I've been with my girlfriend for about two years. We're great, but I'm starting to notice that she has pretty poor work ethic. She's always calling out of work or trying to get off. She's been at the same job for about six years and doesn't want to move up. She's just content, which is fine. But we keep talking about moving and getting a house together, and there's no way she can afford half of a mortgage with her salary. She says she'll get promoted once we get the house, but that's not how it works. <laughs> how can I tell her that she needs to start making more or working more, or this really isn't going to work? Wow, so you think it's a very simple question you pose, but there's a lot in there. Uh, some of it you're going to like to hear, some of it you're not, so let's bust in. When you meet and date someone, you need to accept and date them based on who they are now not who you think they'll be or who you want them to be because that's not promised and maybe that's not possible and maybe that's not what they want. And so right now I do appreciate the goals you have for your partner, but that's not the goals they have for themselves. And your partner has a right to set the goals that make sense to her and she's content. And that's the goal of mental health is to be content with where we're at. Mental health is not always challenging and pushing ourselves in terms of work and productivity and finance. Not for a lot of people. For a lot of people, contentment is what they want. They want to be just happy, moving through their day, smiling, content. Not everyone needs and wants more and more and more and more. And not everyone values work. I don't. I think work is great. It's important. But what I value is making meaning and purpose out of my life, right? 
And I value joy. I value rest. I value pleasure and leisure. Work is a part of that. Work helps me able to do that. But work isn't my number one. People come before work for me all the time. And maybe your partner's like that as well, where she wants more downtime to spend time with things that make sense to her. Maybe her job doesn't give her pleasure and purpose. And so she's doing what she has to do to get her paycheck, but she's putting her time, energy, and focus into what makes more sense to her. You, her fun, her hobbies. I respect that. That's who your partner is. And so you need to make commitment moving forward based on knowing who your partner is and what your partner's making now. You can't assume or hope that will change because they can get fired, they can leave their career, they can get injured, right? And uh, get away from the idea of 50-50. Whoever makes more money should pay a higher percentage of a mortgage and whatever else we're talking about. Again, I'm not for an equality-based model. Things can't always be 50-50. People have different psychological, social, and economic needs. And so it's not fair to put a financial pressure on this person. If her salary isn't enough to contribute, well, then you're going to have to pay more if you want a nicer place. And so you have to look at what they're making now, and maybe it's a percentage. I'm more content with that. Everyone chips in you know, 30% of what they make, and together, whatever that number is, is what you should find in a mortgage. That's how that goes. But some people make a lot more than their partners, and to ask for them to pay 50-50 is actually very unfair. And so we have to be honest with who we're with and what's possible. And your partner doesn't want to work any harder. And I respect that. Sometimes I don't either. And I don't. Right now we're in a pandemic. I'm telling everyone to work 60% max. We have to worry about our mental health. That means more. And so that's where she's at. And so if you, you know, if you want a nicer house, you might have to spend more money. It sounds like you make more. Maybe you need to work more, you know? But yeah, you can have a conversation with her. Hey, listen, these are the goals and dreams I had. I was hoping to split things 50-50. It's looking like that's not possible now. Is that going to be possible? What was your plan? But if she says, I don't know, that's just not my goal right now, then you have to accept that. One of the number one issues in couples therapy is when someone is in love or committed to a dream of who they want or think their partner can be. That's not fair to anyone, actually. You have to show up and respond to who the partner is now. Because again, change isn't promised and maybe not in the direction of what you're hoping. So that's my warning. And I know that's most likely not at all what you wanted to hear, but your partner sounds like they're like, I'm content. I'm good where I'm at. And contentment is the number one goal of mental health. Happiness comes and goes. Mental health is not about how much money you make. Mental health is not about pushing yourself in your job. That is for some people. Mental health is being content and saying, I have my needs met. I'm, I, I'm emotionally and psychologically happy. Might not be the relationship for you. You know, if you're necessarily needing someone who's, making more money or higher economic bracket, good luck, because that doesn't promise that they're a good partner. And I want people to be focused on people, not not these other materialist components. So, all right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow night, though, talking about, funny enough, happiness. That's right, because we got it wrong. <laughs> as well as talking about some more stuff related to COVID and emotional exhaustion. Question of the night, as always, is back up on our Loveline IG page. Weigh in on that. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can go over to wearechannelq.com. But we'll be back tomorrow night. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. And you enjoy and have a great rest of your night.